0: Less, Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 44, this is God's word for us this morning, and here's what God says. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word. There's no word like your word. Every word of yours is true. And we're thankful that it's not just old truth, it's living truth. So help us now in these moments together, that as we consider your word, that you would be present with us, stirring in our hearts. May we treasure Jesus more because of our time together today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we are making our way this summer through some of the parables. And uh, remember, parables deploy comparisons. That is like this. This is like that. It's uh, taking uh, an ordinary earthly story or even an ordinary earthly thing and it's comparing it to a heavenly spiritual truth or a heavenly spiritual reality. The kingdom, the, the parables for the most part all revolve around and point us to something about the kingdom of God. These are wonderful insights, these parables are, uh, for the disciples, those who have a heart devotion to want to learn what the point of the comparisons are. This morning, uh, we're combining, if it would technically, two parabolic statements, although they both are essentially trying to accomplish the same point, and so we'll just lump them together. Um, and and, uh, and uh, let me go ahead and throw it out before we get much further, that, that what I want us to take away from this morning, uh, more than anything, because uh, I know with the heat in this room and whatnot, uh, well, I just I'll just tell you, and then you can do what you need to do. So, uh, but first of all, what, we, what I want us to see this morning from our text is something of the precious, infinite worth of the kingdom. And now, let me be more specific. Not just the kingdom as just a vague, open-ended concept, but really what we're talking about in this phase of the kingdom of God is we're really talking about the precious, infinite worth of the king, of that kingdom. He's what is what He is what makes the kingdom so infinitely precious in its worth. But the other thing that I want us to capture this morning from our verses is not only something of the precious infinite worth of the king, but something of uh, the expensive extreme cost of following the king. All right, there, I said it. Now let's kind of meander away way through some of those uh, points there's two short stories, if you would, or two short statements that pretty much make the same point. Uh, both of them entail a man, There's a, a and the first one, a, a man comes across a treasure in a field. We don't know if he was looking for that or if he stumbled across it, either way, but, but once he found it, he was locked in to what he had found. And then the second one, there seems to be, perhaps at least explicitly stated, more intentionality. This guy's a pearl merchant, and he is on a quest to find some good, fine pearls. And yet, when he comes across this pearl, it's not just a good, fine pearl. It is a pearl of great value. It exceeds the expectation for what he was looking for on that day's quests. Both deal with... um, treasure that is of of all surpassing worth both men realize uh, when they come across what they have found they, they they realize the extreme all surpassing worth of what they have found and therefore they gladly they happily they willingly go and sell everything that they have in order to obtain this all-surpassing worth in this treasure. Both men, in other words, see great value. Both men see all-surpassing worth. And, and both men, as a result, have an all-consuming love and desire for that treasure that they have found. And they happily sell everything they have to acquire That treasure that is of all surpassing worth. In other words, they get rid of everything. They get rid of anything uh, so that they could have this one thing. This one thing. The first guy stumbles into the field or, or comes across the field. We don't, know, we don't know what he was doing in the field. We're not explicitly said. He's not. So we're still talking about a field, but we've moved on from the agricultural metaphors to now treasure hunting. But when he saw what he saw, that was a game changer for him. He went and sold everything he had and bought the whole field so that he could have that one treasure that is contained in that one field. The merchant uh, looking for pearls finds not just a good fine pearl, but an exceedingly great pearl, something way beyond his expectation, something of extreme value, better than he ever thought he would find that day in his search for good pearls. He too sells everything both men the first one explicitly tells us this i think the second one implies it uh, but the both both men gra- gladly relinquish all of their treasure they gladly relinqu- relinquish one treasure for another treasure and they do that gladly because they have uh, they have assessed value in their heart and mind, and they realized that in getting rid of one treasure, they're actually exchanging that which is of a lesser treasure mm-hmm. for that which is of a greater treasure. Right. That's a deal. That's a bargain. Diane and I have been, we, we're, we're single-handedly bringing coals down. Uh, it, when, when, they, when they financially belly flop, it's because we have gotten so many good deals out of them. I mean, we basically get paid to shop there. Yeah. Yeah. We gladly do that because we think, we think in our mind, they, they see us coming, I'm sure. They, they think in our mind that we're taking something of lesser value and obtaining something of greater value. Our, when I was in seminary, one of my jobs was I worked at a men's clothing store and. So you kind of get a backstory on some of the markup of some things. Like we used to sell these shirts that we paid eight dollars for. We sold them normal retail for thirty-two, and at the end of the season we would mark them down for half price to sixteen. We still doubled our money. So, Kohl's probably knows what they're doing. So. I'm just saying. But but these men, they see they see what they have as, well, it's treasurable, it's everything they have, but they see what they're going to obtain by getting rid of what they have is a better value. Now, this is no mere, I'm not telling you how to shop at Kohl's. I'm not telling you to collect your, your Kohl's bucks. This is no mere economic lesson. This is not about investment strategies. Uh, this is not life, life lessons on treasure hunting. This is about the infinite Worth of King Jesus. This is about the extreme cost of following King Jesus. His infinite, his infinite worth uh, is what gives value to the kingdom of God. Christ is the treasure. Of his kingdom and the costly demands to follow him makes the kingdom uh, makes life in his kingdom expensive, but we are simply trading something of lesser value: our stuff, our lives, what we are, what we have, and we are obtaining by getting rid of that which is of lesser value. We are actually obtaining something of greater value. No, that doesn't capture it. We're not getting something of greater value. We're getting something of infinite value. Infinite value in getting Jesus Himself. So, the worth of the kingdom is Jesus. Jesus is in these parables, uh, it, it, it's, even though it says the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of heaven is like, it is the King of the kingdom that gives the kingdom its treasure, its value, its worth. The worth of the kingdom is Jesus. He exceeds anything that might be ours. His value exceeds anything that might be ours. Anything that we might have, Jesus is better. Anything that we might be, Jesus is greater. I would suggest to you, I I think the scriptures teach us this, and it's not necessarily explicitly laid down for us in Matthew 13, but you and I are made to be treasurers. You and I are inclined to treasure something or another. Originally, we were made uh, to be people who would unabatedly, directly, immediately treasure the God who made us. We had eyes in the garden to see the beauty of the God who made us. We had sense, uh, awareness, uh, cognizance in the garden to see something of its infinite worth and treasure. And yet, because of the fall, while we are still made to be treasurers, we are blind treasurers. We are blind to seeing true great truly beautiful treasure. We are in fact, sadly, tragically, we are, because of our sin and our our hearts, we, we are drawn to counterfeit, substitute treasures. We are inclined to treasure vain things, honestly, worthless things, honestly, Ugly things. And yet we seek to still be treasurers. We still wake up each day with a bent to treasure hunt. We still wake up each day with aims. Put together in actions, accompanied by affections that are moving to, that reflect and reinforce our desire for treasure. There's not a day that you and I are breathing that we are not treasurers. There's not a day that you and I wake up that even though we may not even be able to to locate it. Hey, Joe, what are you going to do this morning? Well, I'm going to get some coffee is so what I'm going to do. We don't wake up this morning with necessarily with a full consciousness. Well, I wake up this morning. I'm alive this morning. I am alive to look for treasure. I am alive to treasure something. I am alive to be a treasurer. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go get my coffee. So, um, so, so it's, it's not fully cognizant that, that, that life is, is that focused. And yet, in each of our lives our aims, our actions, our affections. We love us some treasure. We strongly desire treasure. And I would suggest to you that each of us have a built-in indicator in our lives that move back and forth, that helps to to reinforce the fact that we are made to be treasurers and that we have aims and actions and affections to for the acquisition of treasure. Our emotions. A whole host and range of emotions, but I'll just narrow the Google search. Trace our emotions of joy and sorrow. Track them. Lean into understanding, what am I so happy about? What am I so profoundly sad about? And I would suggest to you more often than not that that the, the, that the range of our emotions, the, the inclination of our joys or, and or our sadnesses is, is, is tethered to, it correlates to whether or not we have what we want, we're stuck with what we don't want, And what we really want has been taken away from us. Our emotions do not lie. They are accurate reflections of the fact that we not only are, each of us, treasurers, but we each and every day are treasure hunters. We are searching for treasure. We are in pursuit of treasure. And yet what the scriptures say to us, what the scriptures orient to us, one of the key things that Jesus tries to establish when he lays the beachhead of his kingdom here on this earth is that with the arrival of his kingdom comes the arrival of the king, the beautiful, all-glorious, all-surpassing great king has come. Treasure has arrived. Treasure to satisfy Tra- treasure to soothe. Treasure to sustain. Treasure to strengthen. And it's all tethered to a person. Jesus is the treasure of his kingdom. Let me read to you from Philippians chapter 3 how Paul describes the realization of his treasure hunt. You see, it is the infinite kindness of God, to open blind eyes, so that even while, though we are still wired to be treasurers, we are blind to, 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 to true treasure, and we seek after a host of counterfeit, um, uh, false treasures, and yet God shows up in his kindness and his grace. The Spirit of God shows up and opens our eyes The Apostle Paul would say it like this in Philippians 3, 8 and 9. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. I've lost everything in coming to Jesus. And I'm okay with that. That which defined him he, in that context. He's saying, look, here is, here is my religious and, and ethnic, ethnic pedigree. I was top dog of, in anything and everything. That was my identity. Now that I see Jesus, what I thought was everything is now nothing. I let go of it. I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. You see, our joy, our sorrow is is, is in play in what we treasure. Paul has lost everything. He's lost everything that formally defined him and was ever so dear to him. And now having lost everything, he's okay. He's happy about losing everything. Because in losing everything, he's now had his eyes open to see the one who is everything. Not everyone sees that. You remember the story in Luke chapter 18 of the rich ruler, we're told, the great teacher, what are we going to do to get eternal life? Sign me up, I'll take two. Jesus begins to go through the... Through the, through the second half of the commandments. He, I've been there, done that, done that, check, check, check. I'm good, I'm good. I'm telling you, what can we do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, Jesus says, and it's interesting, Jesus says he loved this guy. He loved this guy. Loved him enough to offend this guy. <laughs> One thing you still lack. One thing you still lack. Go and sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And tragically, these have to be some of the worst words in Scripture. But when he heard this, the rich ruler heard this, you got to get rid of everything. But when he heard this, um, he was... Very, here's our emotion sad for he had great wealth. How many of you would buy a ten dollar bill from me for 50 bucks? You're not leaving it till someone buys this. Don't you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there you go. I, yes, I see that hand. Yeah, yes, yes, yeah, okay. All right, we've got to get decisions somehow. But you're, not, you're, you're like, Joe, the economics don't stand up. I'm not going to trade something of greater worth for something of lesser worth. All right, and I'm going to keep that which I perceive to be of greater worth in order to, for you to uh, bamboozle me and snooker me into your little deal here. I'm not going to do that. I'm walking away. Many people walk away from Jesus. Because tragically, they do not grasp that Jesus is better than anything we currently have. Jesus is better than the whole amalgamation of our stuff. Jesus is better than the whole formulation of our identity. Jesus is better in life, and he's better than our lives. He's better than anything else in life. And... and, and, and yet to let go of everything, to grab a hold of Jesus, to be grabbed a hold of by Jesus, to even be more precise, means that we would do this in joy only insofar as we see that what we're letting go of is is far inferior to what we're about to receive. Mm-hmm. Jesus discerned this guy's heart. He uh, discerned that while this guy says he wants eternal life, this guy Wants his stuff more than he wanted the very one who would grab to who would provide him eternal life. What do you and I need to let go of? What is eclipsing us from seeing even more of the beauty and the glory and the all-surpassing worth of Jesus. I would suggest that there is some things that we need to lose. We need to lose our sin and our self-righteousness. There's some things we need to liquidate. We need to liquidate our love for this world and the things of this world. There's some things we need to leave behind. We need to leave behind Our idols, our vain idols, the the things that our hearts love more than it, it loves Jesus. We need to let go of some things. We need to let go of our loyalties, any heart loyalties that we have that are greater than Jesus. We need to lay down some things. We need to lay down our alternative sources of strength and comfort and peace and hope And joy. There's some things we need to to lean away from. We need to lean away from our strategies to find satisfaction in anything and, uh, and, 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 and everything other than the one thing, Jesus. You see, it is only as we grasp and grow even deeper into the full realization of what we have in Jesus then anything we give up will feel like it's too much to give up. But when we begin to see that Jesus is better, he's better than our sin. He's better than our self-righteousness. He's better than this world and the things of this world. He's better than the vain idols that would capture our hearts. He's better than... The the loyalties to lesser things. He's better than all our alternative sources for strength and comfort and peace and hope and joy. He's better than our strategies for satisfaction apart from him. And when we see that he is better and greater and more beautiful and more lovely and more all-surpassing in its worth in each and every one of those trajectories, then then we realize that when, whatever it is that we do give up, we're not giving up very much. Let go. Let go. Release. Walk away from. Give up on. Turn from. Whatever it is that we are valuing that is actually of a lesser value in order to receive that which is of infinite value. There's an interesting little statement in Hebrews chapter 11 concerning Moses. You know, Moses, he was like, he was uh, in line to be top dog in, in Egypt. Uh, he, he was in Pharaoh's family, if you would, uh, by, by virtue of adoption. Uh, and, and yet we're told in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 26, he walked away from all of that. He walked away from all of that? Dude, what's wrong with you? Well, we're, we're told what's wrong with him. He says he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. All the treasures of Egypt! I'll take the exceeding value of the reproach of Christ. We are all treasurers. We're going to leave out of here this afternoon or this morning still as treasure hunters we're on a quest we have aims we have ambitions we have we'll put those into actions and we will cultivate affections people do we do incredible things to get what we want to get that which we love that which we desire We don't have time to tell Uncle Bill stories. Uh, I, but I'll, and, and in fact, Diane's really starting to sweat now by me in, introducing um, stories related to my Uncle Bill. Um, so she's giving me that look. So you guys look over there real quick and then look back here. So, but, uh, my Uncle Bill didn't want to work. And, and you know what, looking back on his life, he was a great uncle. He, he, the only person in my life who ever bought me a dog was my Uncle Bill. Uh, and uh, despite what my parents wanted for me, he bought me a dog. So anyway, so I'm not, not fully talking bad about Uncle Bill. I'm just using him as an illustration. We do incredible things to get what we want. Uncle Bill didn't want to work, and it's amazing. I'll tell you the stories later, the amount of great effort, <laughs> how he worked very hard to not ever have to work. That's what he wanted. That was his aim, his ambition. (laughs) That was his actions. So it's incredible what he did do to avoid work. What do you want? What do you want? You woke up this morning surging with aims and ambitions and actions and affections. You woke up this morning in some sort of emotional state and that emotional state has has bearing correlation to the state of our treasure acquisition so the prophet isaiah asks us in isaiah 55 why do you spend money for that which is not bread and and why do you labor For that which does not satisfy. On the one hand, you and I cannot afford to purchase the acquisition of Christ in our lives. You don't have the buying power and you don't have the line of credit to acquire something of such infinite worth. On the other hand, Christ has assumed all of the expenses associated to give us life. Come, you who has no money, come and buy bread. Come and drink from the water of life. Come freely because the costs have been covered. And yet, receiving fully the purchased gift of Jesus Christ entails you and I, in order to fully experience the all-surpassing worth that settles our hearts, you and I must be those who now begin a life of fully turning from that which we would attempt to value greater than the value of Christ, and then fully turning toward Him who is an all-surpassing, infinite value, greater than anything we're leaving behind, Because when we have Jesus, we do have everything. He's the one thing that when we let go of anything becomes the one who is to be our everything. So, Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the life that he gives to us. We're thankful for the fact that he has purchased the whole arrangement that we could even come to him in the first place. We're thankful, Father, That while we think that we're treasure hunters. You are the one who is the pursuer of that which requires a salvage job. And we're thankful, Father, that you've pursued us. That you've rescued us. That you have brought us to Jesus. That you've opened our eyes. That you've given us your spirit. So that we can begin to see the all-surpassing worth and beauty and glory and greatness of Jesus. Thank you for such a gift. Now may we be people who gladly let goods and kindreds go, this mortal life also, because we have that which matters. We pray this in Christ's name.